pray with me as I pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, who you are. I thank you for your presence. Thank you for this sweet couple. I thank you for the pre- your presence in their life. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the gathered people. Lord, I was reminded again um, yesterday and again today that, um, that your word being read and your word being heard and your word being sung and your word being prayed and your word being um, taught and your word being gathered around at your table and um, is, is as close to heaven as we're going to get. And so Lord, let us just soak you in as we continue to worship. And I pray that it would all be to conform us into the glorious image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, or what we call the Gospel of Matthew, it actually is just the Gospel according to Matthew, um, Jesus' words say this in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's saying, I've got authority everywhere, all the time, in any space and time. And then he says, in light of that authority, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these disciples of mine to obey or observe or do the things that I've commanded you to do. So I've got authority. I'm, com- I'm commissioning you, worthy you, to go and make disciples of all nations Part of that discipling is baptizing. Part of that discipling is, uh, which would be like sharing the gospel and then seeing people baptized into the family of God and then, and then discipling them in the truth of God. And then the beautiful promise of it all that we've sung about and hung on to and people have prayed about is, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or even all the days of all eternity. So I have authority everywhere over all time, and when you're on my mission, I am with you. But the go make disciples is is what the and I am with you is contingent upon. Not for your salvation, but certainly for his presence. That, That Jesus is most present in your life when you are most on mission for him. Because it's that's when we need him the most. That's where the fear of rejection and all those things that keep us from sharing the gospel, maybe more now than ever, sharing the good news of Christ more now than than ever, um, is when we step into those moments, he tells us in his word, we'll see in the gospel of Matthew as we continue to go through it, that the Holy Spirit will show up in power in those moments because those are missional moments and he's a missional God. Now, I want, to, want you to turn to, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. You're going to need a Bible today because we're going to only be in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to be in a lot of places. So if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will put a Bible in your hand. You can either borrow it or keep it, but we have plenty of them, so we would love, but I want you to read with me where we're turning to, and we're going to be flying through different pages all in one book. should be fairly easy to find, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand, but you will be better for the experience if you're reading with me. So in Matthew chapter 7, he says, um, in, in verse 28, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, meaning he finished what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the part of the Gospel of Matthew we were in the middle of when we took a break two months ago before the Advent season. He says, when he had finished all of that teaching, the crowds were astonished because he was teaching as one who had authority. 
Now think, to, think about how we, how we finish the gospel. That's chapter 7, how we finish the gospel in chapter 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. These people here is teaching very early in his public adult ministry, and they're like, man, this person, they don't know who he is yet. They don't know he's the son of God. They don't know the, the full story of the gospel. And they're going, this person, we have never heard teaching like this because it is teaching with authority. It is teaching with power. And they were astonished at that. And, and the question that leads us into is, does he have authority in your life? Does he have authority in our church? Does he have authority in your home, in your family? Like, ultimately, we can say, we can sing. I mean, I love the songs this morning and, and just the whole, the whole way the Holy Spirit orchestrated the prayer time. But we, like, we, have been, we have been proclaiming for the last hour, Jesus is king, and he has authority. Now, here's the question. When we walk out under that sign that says, you will be my witnesses, will we give witness to his authority in our lives? That's the question. It's much easier to do it here. It's much harder to do it there. Because we just, we're, we're for all kinds of reasons, but I think the primary one, honestly, is we just, we're, we're, we leak. We are a leaky people. We, we come here, we fill up on the gospel, we fill up on worship, we fill up on the presence of God, and then for the rest of the week, we're just leaking it out. And so, and, and, and so we don't necessarily shine like we ought to. So we're in this series that we're calling, we're back in the series that we're calling The Kingdom of Heaven. I'll get back to what that even, what the symbolism of it means. We started it back in August. We took a break in November for the, um, for the Advent season. Now we're jumping back into it. We're going to do kind of an overview of it. And this, today we're going to be talking about the king and the kingdom. Uh, last week, it's going to be on the heels of what I shared last week when I talked about the kingdom worship and Elijah and the Baals and, and whose kingdom are you worshiping in. Now we're just going to spend a little bit of time, one, reviewing where we've been in Matthew, but two, going okay so is Jesus really your king and and so my question becomes when we hear the word king one of the first questions I want to ask is when we hear the word kingdom what comes to mind because kingdom especially in America like we're not we're not I'm not speaking as Christians I just mean as Americans we don't think kingdom in America right why don't we think kingdom in America what tyranny yeah we don't have a king we don't have the monarchy. We are, we're a what? Republic. We're a constitutional republic, right? Like, so this idea of kingdom, but, but if you were talking about kingdom in a place like Great Britain or in a place like Denmark or places that have a monarchy, that idea of kingdom is much more tangible. So I realized as we took this break and I'm thinking we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, I'm not sure that, that as Americans we have a, a real concept of what kingdom is. Not, not even the kingdom of God, just kingdom generally. Kingdom is a place of rule and authority. And a kingdom is defined by the fact that it has a king. right? And so for us, we have to realize, now in our, especially now in our culture, specifically in America or in the West, the word kingdom not only is not something we even use much, but when it is talked about, it's talked about in a very negative way, like colonialism, right? like, like oppression, and, and guys, understand that all of that stuff that we're hearing about in our culture and, and, and the negativity towards those things, and there were some very negative things done in the name, even in the name of Jesus, under colonialism. I'm not, I, that's not what this message is about. But, when, but understand, the heart behind the aversion to king and kingdom isn't, a, isn't like an, a new thing. It goes all the way back to the garden. 
Right? The, the aversion to a king is why Adam and Eve rebelled. So this idea that we don't really want a king, we don't really want a kingdom, isn't just because we're a representative republic or a constitutional republic or whatever in America and we revolted against um, the the king of, of England. It's because our hearts don't want to be ruled by anything. Not just anyone, by anything. Why don't our hearts want to be ruled? Because we want to be the ruler of our heart. Our whole battle, guys, individually speaking, is we are, I am, I'll just speak for me because I'm sure I'm the only one who has this problem. I take, I take the Lord off of the throne of my heart, or I try to, where he, he is the only one that has a rightful place because I want to put myself there. That's our struggle. Now that looks tangibly like in a lot of different ways, a lot practically in your relationships. It looks like when you look at your spouse and go, I want I want this. I want you to do that. I want you to stop this. All of those I want statements are kingdom statements. In that moment, the Doug that's saying I want is is Doug with my kingdom scepter in my hand going, look, woman, I'm the king. And yeah, from the laughs in the room, you can imagine that the the response that that would get, right? So we're talking about this idea of the kingdom of heaven and the imagery of this upside-down kingdom because one of the things that we did spend a lot of time talking about in August, September, October was the kingdom of, there is a kingdom, there are two of them. There's the kingdom of this world, which is this broken world here, and there's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Those terms are used interchangeably even in the Gospel of Matthew. He tends to favor the kingdom of heaven terminology, um, and, and we've talked and we'll talk more about why that is uh, later. But there's these two different kingdoms, and they are at war, this broken part of me, as I think it was John or somebody prayed during our prayer time, these earthly flesh suits we have are still uh, in some ways a part of this kingdom. When you come to be born again, when you come alive in the spirit where you were dead spiritually, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that we are partially transferred into this other kingdom as kingdom people, but there's still this part of us that is not yet fully formed in the image of Christ. It's the already and not yet. We are already redeemed, already set there, but not yet fully transformed. Does that make sense? That's the struggle that we're in. And so when we're wrestling through this idea of kingdom, and, and we understand that, that part of the, me- the message of the gospel, the message of the early part of the gospel of Matthew is Jesus saying, hey, I am the king of this kingdom, and it is as real as the kingdom you're living in. And I'm teaching you because you are citizens of my kingdom, even though you're living as citizens in this kingdom, here's what my citizens look like. And you look very different than the world. The world system looks, has a certain definition for success, has a certain definition for power. And, and Jesus comes and says, I am going to redefine that. I'm going to turn what you think of as a king and a kingdom upside down, like on its head. And that's why we use this phrase here in this part of this as, as this upside down kingdom. So why does kingdom matter so much to Jesus? Guys, why should kingdom matter so much to the church? 
We don't hear a lot of kingdom. I mean, we've been here for a while because it's something that, that the Lord has really been tweaking my heart with since really about 2019 or so on this idea of kingdom and this kingdom struggle and the already and not yet. And then several of our other leaders have really um, started studying some of this kingdom speak stuff. But we don't, you go to a lot of churches and you'll never hear this discussion about kingdom. But why should the kingdom matter so much to the church? That the kingdom is what is promised. It's what Jesus came to redeem. Well, I mean, our first answer should be the kingdom should matter to the church because it matters to Jesus. But here's the thing. When the rebellion happened, so God created Adam. He, created, he spoke all of creation into existence. Even the planet slash star slash alien spaceship that's outside our bedroom window, apparently. So what he created that. He, cre- he spoke creation into existence. At the end of that time, he makes Adam and Eve, he makes humans into his image. And we are the pinnacle of his creation. It gets no better than you. Guys, when you look in the mirror, as, gl- as, as glorious as the truth of the heavens declare the glories of God, The image in the mirror declares the glory of God way more because you are made in his image. Every human who's ever lived is an image bearer of the Almighty. Now, we were made to rule the rest of creation. We were made to be kings and queens. But the problem is us. And because he didn't want robots, he gave Adam and Eve agency, and they had a choice, and they chose poorly. And it wasn't a surprise. God was never up in heaven going, oh, how, I, how do I fix this mess? Right? Oh, I better come up with this law and we're going to slaughter a lot of animals. That, that'll do it. That'll do it. And then we're like, oh, wait, no, that, you know, thousands, a couple thousand years of that, and that didn't work either. So I know I'll send Jesus and he'll fix it. Guys, understand that, was never, that, that conversation never happened in the triune Godhead. What happened in the triune Godhead is, hey, we're going to make these people in our image. They're going to be children of the, of the Most High God. They're going to they're be in our image, and they are going to very intentionally rebel against us. Now, now here's the plan. The reason we're going to even allow that to happen, the reason we're going to even cause that to happen, is because the only way they'll understand the part of me, God, that is re- mercy and grace, is if I redeem them back from their own rebellion. If there is no rebellion, there is no redeemer, there is no Jesus. I sit here today going, God, I would sure have thought of a different way of doing that. Because you know what? The rebellion part, the broken part, stinks. Losing your family members to illness and, being, and, and the number of people that are out of our church right now because they're sick. and like Those things are all just, they, it, it isn't ha- it's not healthy. And yet, I mean, it's not, it's not what we would like. But the minute I say, hey, God, I would find a different way to do that, what does God say? Yeah, oh really? Who are you, old man, to answer back to me? As high as those beautiful heavens are that you look at are above the earth, I am so much higher than you. Guys, like, he, understand, like, he's looking at me, he's looking at Doug going, Doug, here, let, me, let me give you an analogy your little pea brain can understand. You, we're, I'm training you like you would train your puppies. We have two puppies, two little six-month-old Bernadoodles that are probably tearing up our house as we speak. And because we're not the trainer God is. And he's saying, hey, in this analogy, Doug, you're, you're the dog. And I'm the trainer. And I'm going to tell you as, as, as best, in ways as best I possibly can, that your pea brain can understand how to live the, the kingdom life I want you to live. So he's going to use words that we can understand, and that's what, he's trying to, that's what he's conveying us into the word of God. Just like I use sit and down and no and bad, and like with, with my puppies. Right? Because those are words they understand. I don't share with them the backstory about why it's dangerous to run out into the road because they don't have the, comp- the ability to comprehend that. Now, here's the, here's the part of that analogy that we all got to come to grips with. If, 
if God, if, if this is like God is the trainer and I'm the dog, guys, you and I have more in common with the dog, like intellectually, than God has with the trainer. Do you understand that? That there is a greater difference between the abilities of God, who's telling this amazing kingdom story, and, and who he is, and all he is, and all we've sung about today. There's more of a difference between me, the trainer, and him than there is between you and a dog. Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, my ways are higher than yours. That's a long way. So all that was not even in my notes, but, but, what, I want, but what I want to convey, guys, is, is that this idea of kingdom story mattered to Jesus because it's what he came to redeem. Therefore, it should matter to the church because, guys, you and I are God's plan. Oh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as our, like I said, I would have picked a different way. God chose for you and I to be the the vehicle through which the kingdom would be proclaimed upon this planet. He could have waited until Al Gore invented the internet. He could have waited until, um, I mean, he could, he could even now, like, like blast out a text message to all of us. He chose to save a people for himself that they might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. That's crazy talk to me. But it's God's plan. And our, the only question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we going to be obedient to that? And the only way we're going to be obedient to that is if Jesus really is our king. Right? So as we're talking about this idea of, is Christ our king, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, so all that was, was some review, I'm going to use an overview of Matthew where we've already been in Matthew to, to just sort of bring us up to speed so we can hit the ground running in Matthew chapter 7 next week, Lord willing, but also to re- mostly to reset our hearts back to the kingdom of God. Because the holidays and, and, and just all the other stuff going on in the world and in the new year and everything else, we, we, we may have put our eyes on the wrong thing. And so um, I want to just give you an, I want to remind you of how much, there, how much kingdom talk there is in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're still in the introduction, but turn to Matthew chapter 3. I love hearing those pages turn. I know some of you are, just, are going through on your phone. That's okay too. You're not quite as holy, but I'll, that's all right. Um, it says in, 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 in um, so I'm in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, guys, I'm, I'll probably say this again, but I want to, like, we spent 15 weeks going through six chapters of Matthew. All of those messages are online. They're all on our podcast. I, I, we exegeted the the snot out of those passages. I am not going to do that today. So if you're going, well, why is he reading this stuff and not breaking it down? It's because it's been broken down. Go back and listen to it. You can go back and listen to all that on your own. But John the Baptist, forerunner of Christ, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now turn the page to John four, or to Matthew four seventeen. So now we, we just skipped the baptism of Jesus. Now, all, now, John, now Jesus starts his public ministry and it says... Um, and it's in verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now turn to chapter 5, verse 10. So he gets baptized, he's wandering in the wilderness, he starts proclaiming the kingdom. He goes up on, starts the Sermon on the Mount, that's where we left off. Look at verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of 
heaven. Now look at verse 19 of chapter 5. Therefore, whoever relaxes the, one of the least of these commandments, so does, does Jesus care about our conduct? Absolutely. And teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, so disciples others, will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to skip chapter 6 because I'm going to come back to it here in just a few minutes. There's a whole lot of kingdom speak, but in the interest of time, turn to chapter 12, verse 28. We'll come back to a lot of this as we go through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. But we're going to. So in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, he says, But if by the Spirit of God I have cast out demons, then the kingdom of God God has come upon you. Guys, the the miracles and things we're going to look at in the coming weeks, the casting out of demons that we're going to look at in the coming weeks, were his authentication of himself and the reality that the kingdom of heaven has punched a hole down into this world and is now present among us. And because he's in us, present within us. So let's keep going. We've got to keep going to uh, chapter 13, verse 10. It says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them and said, To you, now he's speaking this to us. If you're a believer in Jesus and the spiritual eyes of your heart have been opened, this is a word for you. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now look at verse 19 of chapter 13. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not stand and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what um, that is what was sown along the path. Now jump down to verse twenty-four. We're gonna we'll go through in great detail the the different um, the sowing and the, the seed and the sowing when we get there eventually, Lord willing. Look at verse twenty-four. He put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the fi- in the field." And he keeps on going. Verse thirty-one, verse thirty-three, verse forty-four, verse forty-five, verse forty-seven, verse fifty-two. All these are about kingdom. Um, our, our kingdom analogies. The kingdom mattered to Jesus. Now turn, in the interest of time, go all the way to chapter 18. I just have a couple more I want to show you. Chapter 18, verse 14. I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him, listen to little people in the room, this should encourage you, and calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them. So he stands his kid in the middle of all these disciples and he says, adults, and he says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now let's go back. I said we're going to go back. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and land this kingdom plane before I actually get to my three points, which are, pretty sh- are very short and go fast. In chapter 6, Brian already had us pray the Lord's Prayer. But what, is this, like, what does he say? He sa- in chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's, he's pointing us up to this kingdom. Our Father. Where is our Father? He is in heaven. How- he is holy. Holy is your name. Now what's the very next thing? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
There's a, he isn't being flippant about the words he tells us to pray. We are to pray about kingdom things. And specifically, we're to pray to our Father who is in the kingdom of heaven that his kingdom would come to earth in power and glory, would be manifest more and more all the time in this kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Last place I'll have you turn, look at chapter 33. I'm sorry, chapter 33. Look at verse 33 of chapter 6. But seek first God's kingdom, my kingdom, Jesus is saying, and my righteousness, and all the other stuff of this kingdom here will be added unto you. Why? Because these two kingdoms are moving forward in space and time to a time when those two kingdoms, by his second coming, are going to slam back together like it was in the garden before it got split in half by our rebellion. And he is saying that we should be seeking this kingdom because what we're doing down here, we're laying up here treasure in heaven. We'll see that as we go along. So let's go back to the message today. Is Jesus your king? I'm just going to quickly go over chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and, and talk about them. We, we talked about them um, from kind of big picture ideas. Chapters 1 and 2 were, this, were the idea of the pronouncement of the king. Right? The chapters 3 and 4 were this, the preparation of the king. And chapters 5 and 6 were the, um, were the proclamation, or the, I'm sorry, f- um, 5, 6, and 7 were the proclamation or the teaching of the king, the Sermon on the Mount. So look at the first part, but I'm gonna, because I've taught on this in great detail, I want to bring it to a personal perspective. Go to Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at our first point, which is about the concept of the pronouncement of the king. The king has come. That's what chapters 1 and 2 are about. The baby Jesus, born in a manger, celebrated at Advent, all those things. But, but look at chapter 1, uh, Matthew chapter 1, and here's my question that, relate, that makes it more personal. Who have you told? If, Jesus is, is, if, if God seems concerned about pronouncing Jesus has come, who have you told? So look at, look at what um, G- G- Matthew 1.1 1, 1 says. The book of the genealogy, if you remember, if you have it written in your Bible from when we went through this, the word genealogy is the word what? Genesis. He's saying the beginning. right? The genesis of Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's like, man, this is an important story because it didn't start in the New Testament. It started all the way back in, the, in Genesis, in the garden. Right before the rebellion happened, redemption was planned. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, we start with this whole idea of the plan of redemption. But guys, turn to, turn to verses 21 and through 23. This is Joseph's dream. He says, but when he, but when he Joseph, considered what the angel had told him, Joseph, or, or, I'm sorry, was considering leaving Mary, divorcing her quietly, and we looked, at the, like, we looked at Advent through the eyes of Joseph as part of our Christmas season, so you could even go back and listen to that message if you wanted. It says, Joseph, son of David, do not, um, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." All of this took place that the Lord had spoken to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall, be, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Guys, two things I just want to point out about this idea of, about this idea of who have we told. One, when we talk, like, the, the angel seems pretty clear. You're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. Guys, the church has gotten away from preaching this, the sin part of the gospel. 
What are the ramifications of that? Meaning, you, to come to church and hear you are a sinner, that you are a rebel, that you, are, that you and I are constantly trying to slap God's hand away from our hearts is not preached like it used to be. But what are the ramifications of that? We don't need Jesus. We, yeah, but let's just get to the very end. Then what in the world do you need a Savior for? How can you, but, the, but the, the church has preached a Savior without any need. God sent us what we needed. Not necessarily what we wanted. What we want is a strong political ruler who's going to make America great again. And I hope I stepped on some toes. What we need is a Savior. Because we're a sinner. Now here's the other part of it. At the very end of that, he's... Matthew's pulling the story forward. Emmanuel, God with us. Guys, that is the story of the Bible. That is the gospel story. God was with them in the garden. God was with them in the wilderness. God was with them in the exile. God was with them when they returned. God was with them when Jesus comes. God is with you in the Holy Spirit. It is the witness of God that is our greatest testimony as God's people. That's it. But we have, to, we have to be motivated by the right thing if we're really going to proclaim him. So, here's a quick question. What is the Christian's motivation for telling about Jesus? I'm asking, what? Jesus told us to, where I started, go and make disciples. It wasn't a suggestion. It was an imperative, a command. Good, what else? We love people. Guys, if they don't know Jesus, everybody, everybody lives forever. Everybody has an eternal destiny. The only question is address. Right? There, there is the, the people that, don't, that die not knowing the Lord don't just cease to exist. They exist in eternal separation. Guys, do you understand why God sent the angel to guard the, the tree of life in the garden after they rebelled? Because had Adam and Eve taken of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. But in what state? Their sinful, rebellious state. He sent the, the, he sent the angel, he sent them out of the garden and had the angel guard it, not as, a, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of protection. Like, like we, 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 are, we, need to, we need to preach the need for a savior, but we need to write, we need to show, because Christianity is the only religion that actually says, yes, there is a God in heaven. Yes, he is holy and just. Yes, we want holy and just judges like God. And, and oh, by the way, he takes the judgment on himself. No other religion teaches that. Not even some religions that teach, that, that profess faith in Christianity. Because they say, well, you have to believe in Jesus and do these other things. And if you don't do these other things, you're not going to get to the highest level of heaven, or you're not going to get there at all. Or, guys, all of that is diminishing the beauty of the gospel story. The question becomes, how do we get better at proclaiming? And the answer is, by getting to know Jesus better. And so whether it's in our training program here, or in a D group, or just you know, by, by getting together with people and talking about and praying with, and all the things that we've already done this morning, guys, understand that, that we want to grow in a way, we want, as Christians, our, at Crosstrain, our desire is to see everyone here move forward in their spiritual journey from wherever they are, whether they're an atheist like I was from my 20-something years of my life, or they are, you're a believer, but you're struggling, everybody moving forward in a way that conforms us in 
into the image of Jesus. And that is truth and grace and love and mercy. That is, that is holiness. It's all of it, and it's complicated, and it's why we need each other. Okay, so is Christ your king? First, have you told anybody? Second question is, and it goes along with where I just was finishing up, how, what steps have you taken? Like, what steps have you taken? If Christ is your king, if his kingdom is really your kingdom that you're living for, then what practical steps are you taking to be kingdom people living by kingdom power for kingdom glory? I'll just put it this way. If someone looked at your day planner or your phone calendar or whatever you use, your checkbook or your online whatever, right, your... Um, or just even, like, who you hang out with, how much... like how, what. Guys, let me just let me assess this. If they were rounding up Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Like if our government got so hostile towards Christianity, they shut down all the churches and they started arresting Christians, would you get arrested? If they, if they looked at your Facebook feed, if they, if they went into your home, would you get arrested for being a Christian? Or would it just take like maybe deleting a couple things or hiding your Bible under your mattress and nobody would ever know? Jesus is not indifferent towards that. He cares deeply that we stand strongly for him. And that is an important thing, especially at this point in our culture. So let's look at verse, our chapter 3, verse 1. He says, so this is this whole idea of the preparation of the king. He says, um, this was that, that, the verse I read in John 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at verse 3. For this is what was spoken of in the prophet Isaiah, who said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make right his path. That was not just John's ministry. Guess who else's ministry that is? The churches. Guys, our job here now is to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, depending on your eschatology, that might look a little different in your world. We're not going to get on that little side trail right now, but I'm telling you that the church is here to fulfill that ministry, to prepare the way of the Lord. But in order to do that, we have to, we have to be prepared in the truth of God. Because, remember, we won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 4, it's the scene where Jesus gets led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, odd, to be tempted by the devil. The devil comes to him. How does Jesus combat the lies of the enemy? Three times. How does he do it? It is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy. It is written, and he quotes the word of God. We have got to, as his people, because the enemy, John 10.10, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is real. And he's really good at his job. But Jesus came that you would have life in abundance. Not, man, I just hope I barely, I hope I'm just a little bit victorious over Satan. And I hope I, you know, and I hope I can just make it through that. Jesus came that you would live in power. Abundance. But in order to defeat the whispering lies of the enemy and of the world and of your own flesh, you've got to know and have readily available the truth. That is what will combat the enemy's lies. Your second talking points question says, what should describe the character of a Christian? What? What? Thank you. Love. What else? Gentleness. Good. What else? John caught, John caught on to what's going on. I didn't orchestrate this. John caught on to what's going on here. What else? Self-control. What else? Full of hope. 
kindness, joy. Guys, where, where are some of these words found? What part of Scripture? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Guys, understand, like, if, if when, when you see a question like, how, how, what, should, what should describe the, the character of a Christian, and your default is morality, you're defaulting to the, to the wrong thing first. It doesn't mean don't go there. We already saw it. Jesus does care deeply about our morality, that we live according to his commands. But we start with what should characterize a Christian, what should characterize a church is love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's Because, guys, when you are born again, you have gone from only physical to supernatural, spirit-physical. The church is a supernatural, spirit-connected entity. Matthew, or Ephesians 4 clearly says that the Holy Spirit joins us together, fits the body together so that we can all grow together. Like, like there's a supernatural part of that. That's why, though, that's why the fruit of the Spirit should define those things first and foremost. Last point. So is Christ your king? Who have you told? How, how are you teaching, like, um, I'm sorry, what steps have you taken? And the last one is, how are you teaching others? How, if, go back to where I started. Therefore, go and make disciples. It is an imperative. It, guys, understand this. We don't do evangelism. We are evangelists. Do you understand? That there's a, that's a, I guess that's a subtle difference, but there's a, there's a, it's an important one. Doing evangelism is like, okay, this is my time, and there's, there's reason to be trained in, doing, in, in like going out and evangelizing. But like, like Jamie was saying, if, the, if you're wondering why I was pointing at that poor girl in the first row, it's because she got up here at the beginning and talked about an opportunity to be trained in that. There's huge, we, we need to do that. We offer classes here in the training center for that. But guys, we, what I mean by we don't just, we don't do, evan- we don't go, okay, this is my time to go be evangelistic. You, you are, you just are an evangelist by your lifestyle. Guys, all, all the word euangelion, where we get the idea of evangelism and this, like this idea, the, the root word for, for the gospel, all that is, is it's, it's showing people, telling people the good news. That's a, that's a lifestyle. It's not just a, like a, a three-step process. So look at, look at where I get that. So look at verse, um, look at chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, but, so verse 13 of chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it stay salt? How will its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under, its, under feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does a person light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, so it will give light to the whole house. And this is what um, Caitlin read during our prayer time. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Guys, he doesn't say, go act salty. He doesn't say, go... Um, go generate some light. He says, you are salt. You are light. Why? Because he is the salt and the light. And he is in you. That's the reason. That's the whole point. If you look at 
We don't, we don't do evangelism. We are evangelistic because we just are the salt and the light. And the last thing in, in chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, was verse 19, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we hit that pretty hard when I was teaching through it, but also even last week in this idea of kingdom worship. So how do we let our lives show people the gospel? Guys, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's by, it's by how we live our lives. Not in a sense of morality, but in a sense of like kindness, others-oriented, the fruit of the Spirit, like all the things that you guys so beautifully prayed through. So the last talking points question, the music team's going to come up and we're going to land this plane. It says, um, to know God and to make him known. That is why we, you individually, and we as a church, and we as the church, that's why we're here, to know God and make him known. This is why we're here. So how do we do that? And I'm not going to ask for input, but we, like I said, you know, talk to Jamie after the service about her class. Come talk to, to me or one of the other elders about, I want to get better at, at demonstrating Christ to people, and let's talk together about it. But here are three things I just wrote down. Here's, here's ultimately how we get better at being evangelists. We gotta stop being like, we, we gotta start being the human beings God made us to be instead of human doings. I go do this, I go do this, I go do this. Let's be. Let's be human. Let's just be who, we're, who He has died to make us to be. But here are three ways. Ask yourself this question What are you showing? Like, like what would people say your worldview is? When it feels like the enemy is winning, when it feels like your side is losing, when it feels like your world is falling apart and people are looking in at your life, what would they, who, what would they say you're anchored to? Who would they say you're anchored to? So what are you showing? Second thing is, what are you saying? That faith comes by hearing and, the, and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you ever speak his name? Do you, ever, do, you, do you talk about the things of the kingdom? And the last one is, so it's what are you showing, what are you saying, and what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would, um, that we would, that we would get, um, get serious about being your kingdom people. But even as I say that, I, I, because of how I am sinfully wired, I, I, will, I will clench my fists together and I will think of all the things I need to stop doing and all the things I need to start doing and then I will white knuckle that stuff until I fail again. And so Lord, as, as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that we would, when, when we talk about living our lives for the kingdom, that we would immediately flinch to by your powerful presence in us. Because that's what you died to bring. In Jesus' name, amen.